72 Voices is a project by 72 and Sunny, who are a creative accelerator with offices in Sydney, LA, Singapore, Amsterdam and NYC. This series champions the new generation of creative entrepreneurs in Australia. In the chats, we identify smarts and insights that we hope in some small way will inspire the next generation of Australian entrepreneurial success stories. Welcome to 72 Voices, the podcast series, with our CEO, Chris Kay, produced by our friends at Otis Studios. This week's chat is with Linda Monique, founder and CEO of Olmo Milk. Hearing Linda's journey and clarity of vision was super inspiring. How she thinks about her company, its purpose, and how she imbues this in every decision she makes was confident and refreshing in equal measure. I really enjoyed chatting to Linda and learned a lot from her approach and thinking. Hopefully, you enjoy the chat as much as I did. Uh, so if I can start with one simple question, which is, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Wow, it's such an <laughs> know, existential question. I've always <laughs> asked myself that probably every day of the week. Um, it's probably not who am I, but what am I, I think. Yeah. Sometimes um, I wonder if I'm just a creative at heart. I run an almond milk company, so yeah. uh, founder and CEO of Elmo Milk. But deep down, I am a person that just loves wandering this earth and traveling and experiencing and escaping and just adventuring in life. Yeah. And so how did you become the CEO of an almond milk company if wow. you were a wanderer and a traveler? That's a great question because to actually start a company, you really do need to be pinned down at some point in time and commit and commitment. I've always been a commitment phobe. <laughs> so the idea of working on a project for 10 months, it was just never going to work for me. And um, it was actually funnily enough through health and actually being chained down to a hospital bed and in my own very own bedroom, um, figuring out that I needed to to actually create my own future and freedom. And that was through setting up an almond milk company. But health has played such a big um, part of my journey. And throughout my career, health has become more and more important. Love food, love eating, love dining, love chefs, love learning about food cultures. But um, food was actually becoming quite toxic and yeah. uh, something that was... Um, almost debilitating at one point, um, having an autoimmune disease, not being able to eat, uh, being deprived of food for weeks on end. Yeah. Um, I started to look at food very differently. And I think it's part of this deprivation of just um, being able to eat normal food. I started seeing and looking at food and food trends very differently. And do you think you'd have done this if you hadn't have had that moment in your life that you Probably not. Uh -huh. um, I remember once being stuck in a hospital in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was called San Donato, outside of Milan, with no English-speaking doctors. And I was so sick that I was, wasn't able to eat for um, a couple of days mm -hmm. and was just left with some like broth and pasta. So I started fantasizing about food, things like <laughs> sushi, and fresh fruit and everything that I missed about um, sort of Australian food. And I think it was that extreme deprivation that allowed me to simply look at food very differently. Yeah. 
And then when you looked at food very differently, what made you choose that specific category of food? Wow. Um, Food in general, I love eating everything. But uh, over the years, given that fact that health has just played such an important role, I started really refining the foods that I ate, tried all sorts of diets. I think everyone's gone through this phase of let's try paleo, let's try keto, let's try all these different um, food fads. And what actually worked best for me was just a really pescatarian, um, plant-based diet. So Mm -hmm. less meat, uh, more veggies. And despite seeing a whole range of food trends from crazy desserts through to um, seeing these incredible restaurant concepts and um, world's best restaurants, I really just resonated and connected with certain health foods, mm-hmm. nuts, for example, almonds. <laughs> um, really, it's an interesting history about almonds. Yeah, such as? Well, almond milk originally began in Christendom, martyrdom times. I don't know how to say that properly. <laughs> it's really word, wordy. Um, but I think it was like the 14th century. Okay. And um, almonds are generally considered um, a very sacred, life-giving food. Uh-huh. And even the word um, almo actually means nourishing and sacred in Latin. So there was certain connotations mm-hmm. with almonds themselves, how important they are to so many cultures. Syria actually um, grew a significant portion of the world's almonds at one yeah. point in time. Um, so we started researching and just, yeah, there was a real deep connection. Was it uh, the first idea you had? Oh, God, I have had thousands of ideas. <laughs> I think even... At university, there was a point where I was working with IT friends, creating all these startup concepts and ideas. I ran an event called Melbourne Macaron uh, in my final year of university. That was literally uh, getting the best chefs together to create um, designer macarons, then covering mini cars in macarons and driving (laughs) them around the streets of Melbourne just to test out this theory of guerrilla marketing. Uh, So I have done so many random things, maps, um, exploration of food ideas and um, curation of the best restaurants and cafes in Europe. So I've definitely dabbled in a lot of different ideas and projects, but nothing that absolutely was right. This is going to be my future. I just loved using my 20s as a, as a chance yeah. to explore, to try different things, to and experiment. How, how did you make the choice that out of all of those, this was the one? Ooh, I don't think it was actually a choice. I think it was a life moment where I just had this daydream, epiphany. It was something cosmic from the universe that was really showing me that I needed to to run Almo. And I think it was a point of like, I don't want to commit to a business. This is going to eat up my life. I won't travel. Um, mm-hmm. I had all these preconceptions around it. But it was, it was almost like a voice talking inside my head saying, you really got to do this. And yeah. At one point, I actually saw um, somewhere the phrase Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then I saw my initials in the middle. I'm like, oh, my God, that's actually my company name, Elmo. Shoot, it's a sign. <laughs> Just take that as a sign. You've got to do it and uh, don't look back. What was the first year like? Ooh, first year was absolutely brutal. Um, really wanted to give up. It was 12 months of door knocking around Australia. Every dairy manufacturer, any manufacturing facility, uh, simply asking them what equipment, machinery they had, 
could they make this product for us? And um, every door shut in my face. <laughs> Not fun. Rejection is really painful. But at one point, I just said, you've got to keep going. They're, if it's this hard, surely there'll be less competition in future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just willingly found um, someone in New Zealand. So had to offshore our product from day one, which is actually a pretty scary thing to do. And was that was that a big decision for you, not making it Australian from day one? It was really hard, but we had no other option. It was the only way you could do and it. And I thought, well, that's better than not launching a product at yeah. all or offshoring elsewhere. Yeah. And now what does it feel like a few years in versus that time? Like, how do you feel? Where do you feel you're at on the journey uh, with the company? It's really weird. It just feels like the last, it's technically been five years as of yeah. last week. Um, it feels like it's all been one big daydream. <laughs> <laughs> but really incredible. I think I describe Elmo as a separate entity. It's like a identity in itself, a person, a human being. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a toddler that's just really starting to learn how to speak yeah starting to get a mind of its own yeah its friends its customers are doing their own thing and i'm i'm actually trying to work out as a parent of (laughs) this company um i I really like to separate the company and myself as well but i'm trying to figure out actually what is its greatest strengths what what's next for this this amazing um, person, human being, individual, and where should it go next? And then different question. You said earlier you've always been a creative at heart. Just talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? Oh, creativity and being a creative. I think creativity for me has always been suppressed in my younger years. Um, I think expression, words, language color visualization um creating um being able to dream up of ideas look at furniture and go we should create stuff i think i just am an ideas person and every minute of every day i will imagine things i will create things i'll look at the artwork in the studio and go wow okay let me stop let me actually try and understand what what someone was trying to express or create or say yeah. So I think sometimes words are overemphasized, but for me, creativity is basically life. Yeah. And then before Amo, how did that express in the other jobs that you do? It might. It's actually quite helpful to understand the journey before Amo as well, where you worked, how what you learnt, that sort of journey. Oh, so funny. But um, cooking was a, a form of expression for me for a very long time. Yeah. And I would use food as a, a medium um, to create. I basically would chop up food, redesign um, certain dishes, classical dishes, uh, use color, structure, styles. So I found food as a really great outlet and I still do at times. Mm-hmm. So creating new almond based products or um just experimenting with recipes i do enjoy that on the side yeah. but before then um random stuff like covering a car in 3000 macros <laughs> because i thought it was just a, a really cool idea at the time so um it's really funny my creativity has no borders or yeah. boundaries um it can be anything from it apps um digital apps to 
covering cars in macarons to designing new food products. Yeah. Um, it's really just endless. And then the, so if creativity has always been at your heart, what about the entrepreneurial gene? Mm. I think the competitive entrepreneurial streak has always come from my family. <laughs> uh, my parents had um, really unique careers where they actually had always a secondary passion. And so mum being a nurse got into um, running a gallery and then uh, trading antiques and then property development. So she really uh, used her sort of side passions as a primary form of income. Yeah. And my dad was um, an electrician by trade, but was a photographer at night. So he would... (laughs) Um, be at all the Melbourne events. We have ridiculous photos at like the Australian Open with every tennis player and um, and yeah, so dad's always had that as a creative passion on the side and I think I grew up not only um, studying but always having these side passions that yeah. I just had to follow and I think that was really important um, growing up um, exploring just different different um, entrepreneurial um, ideas and and how that could actually turn into a business. And do you see yourself as a uh, just an entrepreneur in just this field, or are you a multi-led entrepreneur? You see other side hustles becoming a fruition mm. of a new company. Digital is really becoming um, a primary focus of many companies, and I think um, most companies in the future will be digital first. Um, I definitely see um, opportunity for other companies to exist. Yeah. Um, however, um, something that I've really refined over the years is focus, focus, focus. So 90% of my time I will always dedicate to Elmo, but I use 10% of my time to dabble in fun, creative projects, whether that's helping out friends um, in their own side hustles or mentoring um, yeah. other really cool startups as well. And uh, are you quite rigid in keeping that? 90% and that 10%? I think I've actually just put a stereotype on that 90 <laughs> 10%, but absolutely, it's it's flexible. It's flexible. I don't actually count my hours. Yeah. Um, and pretty much with my entire schedule in life, I run to my own rhythm. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person that gets up 6 a.m. every morning and meditates for 15 minutes. Yeah. My only, I have my own unique rituals, I'd say. Such as? If I'm allowed to ask. I love making coffee in the morning. So mm-hmm. just um, it will be a either a cold drip or a batch brew of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I will sit there literally holding a cup of coffee and just savoring it. <laughs> and for me, that's just enough to really ground myself yeah. um, and prepare mentally for the day ahead, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, you talk about running to your own rhythm. How does that work for you as a CEO of a company? It has to work simply because uh, from day one, I was very sick and I thought, well, that's the only way out. If I'm ever sick in hospital or um, unwell, I can work from home. I can run to my own schedule. So it forms a deeper layer of having values and part of our company and really important for me was actually addressing what are our values in the company Mm -hmm. and even when it was just myself working I was like right health is number one everything we create everything we do the way we hire staff there has to be an emphasis on health 
Yeah. So not just creating a healthy product, but actually is our culture healthy mentally, yeah. physically? Um, how do we create healthy habits within yeah. our organization? So um, part of that is that operating rhythm. It's my staff can work from home if they need to. They can structure their days accordingly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an open and honest conversation with generally my team. How are yeah. you feeling? Every meeting starts with the word or the question, how yeah. are you feeling? Yeah. And sometimes if you say, oh, I'm really like hungover <laughs> and tired, that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. As long as I know how you're feeling, that will yeah. allow me to work accordingly with yeah, you yeah. during the day. Yeah. And how do you hire against that value system? Is it Has it been really helpful to be really clear on the values that work in your company and it's been easy to find people that fit them or if you found it hard, difficult? Um, actually, quite easy. Yeah. It's, it's easier to weed out people that just simply won't work within that culture. Yeah. Um, and if anything, I'd say to every company is really just know your values. Yeah. Um, it makes every decision, especially the most complicated ones, yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. So if we had a toxic relationship with a yeah. supplier or a distributor or a manufacturer, we made it very clear that it just doesn't align with our values. Yeah. And even if we're losing revenue or we're losing opportunities, we're going to do it and cut ties because it just doesn't align with our values. And are those values something that you use externally so customers can understand what you're like as a business? Absolutely. Um, the challenge is communicating those values, but uh, certainly we will um, really emphasize them where we can, whether it's at consumer shows, yeah. sharing personal journey, what got us here, and making sure that we still care and value what our customers think about those values. And what does it feel like? Sorry, I'm asking a ton of questions, aren't I? Uh, it's like firing. <laughs> and I'm trying to write them down. 501 <laughs> questions. Uh, What's it feel like being a solo founder? Because we've talked to quite a few people that there's teams or there's two. What does it feel like being a solo founder? Up until last week, I actually thought it was um, a real positive, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, given the fact that decision-making is much easier. Yeah. There's a lot of pros and cons um, with being a solo founder, whether it's um, being able to make decisions easy, having your sole vision um, and going based on your own um, gut feeling. But being alone in this journey, it's uh, it's definitely a very lonely journey and uh, finding people to surround yourself yeah, with who is do you, how, super important. Who do you look to for guidance and support? <sighs> mentors. I love mentors. Mentors <laughs> are fabulous. Um, it's almost like f- eating candy. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> really? Explain. Oh, the knowledge you can gain from people in various industries is incredible if i wasn't doing elmo and if we didn't have to make money in this world and day and age to survive if we didn't live in this type of world i would just simply listen um, to people and hear their stories and learn from their stories i just love yeah love learning yeah and how do you find mentors you know what do you look for sometimes (laughs) they're um very organic one of my favorite mentors i met in an airport lounge in Bahrain. <laughs> it was just me and him, um, yeah. an advertising um, partner of a big agency, and literally freaking out, thinking I was missing a flight to London. 
uh, had a quick chat. He's like, oh, no, there's six of these planes in this company. I'm like, how do you know this? And um, so sometimes meeting um, mentors very organically in cafes, wherever I am, I'm always talking to people. I think it's great to just connect wherever you are. Yeah. And are you a mentor? I am. Um, I've started doing more mentoring and simply because it just is so empowering and also so rewarding to give back to other incredible startups and yeah. um, people that have just different journeys along the way that need some support and guidance. And what do you look for? Mm, I think it's not that I look for anything in yeah. particular. I just, if someone reaches out and genuinely is needing help, I'll always identify what type of help they need and whether or not I'm suitable for for them yeah. um, to have a coffee and a chat but that's as far as it really goes. And then it feels like, you know, you talk about yourself being a learner. Where, where do you look for for inspiration and learning beyond mentors, people, mm. conversations? Travel has always been um, the place where I get to just reflect, discover, get curious about life um, and soak up the world like a sponge, really. Mm-hmm. I just become a sponge. Yeah. Observe. And do you, is there... Do you look to certain people that are doing different things out in the world as inspiration? Is there people that you've seen in business that you aspire to or? Oh, tough question. I think I've stopped really connecting on social media or media platforms Mm -hmm. or news stories I love just meeting people organically and hearing their stories. So quietly, I think there's a few people that I do look up to Mm -hmm. and have set up incredible businesses, Um, but generally, not really. Yeah. And and then what does it mean to be an entrepreneur in Australia for you, especially, you know, as you, as an Australian business that prides itself on manufacturing here? What does it mean to be an Australian business? Oh, tough question. We are so fortunate. I think the word that comes up to mind is fortunate. We're just simply so fortunate to live in a country that allows young women to set up their own businesses. I think very tricky in certain cultures and other countries to be able to do that. Yeah. To find support and to find... um, Companies that simply want to work with you and collaborate and um, be open for conversation. I think just the idea of a coffee catch-up. Yeah, yeah. Anyone that you reach out to on LinkedIn, it's so easy just to organize a coffee yeah, catch-up. Yeah. And you might not have ever um, yeah. actually met them in person, hence <laughs> like, why we're here today. <laughs> like, I don't think this would happen yeah. anywhere else in the world. Yeah. People have so little time or um, come with a different mindset. Yeah. And ways of doing business. Yeah. And so I think we have such an opportunity in Australia um, just to simply launch incredible businesses and be creative and innovative. And um, yeah. And do you think being an, in, an entrepreneur is in the Australian psyche? Oh, depends on the generation. Okay, interesting. I think there's a generational divide, and there's an old world entrepreneurial mindset where majority of Australia there's over 10 million small businesses out there 
I'm sure 80% of them are scalable in some fashion or form with the right help. But do they want to scale? Do they want to become bigger business? Or is it a lifestyle choice? Yeah. So actually understanding entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. There is this just new wave of wanting to scale and become um, huge unicorn And tech. why is that? Why, why do you think that is? Media, mm. certainly. Um, US influence, absolutely Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, the way we portray success. Is it healthy? I think it's extremely unhealthy. Yeah. In what way? We've created a entrepreneurship bubble that's very focused on success as being simply revenue, raise as much capital as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and it creates unhealthy cultures. It creates unhealthy expectations in younger generations yeah. um, that are emerging and going, right, I'm going to create a startup and I've got to raise $10 million or I'm going to be unsuccessful. Yeah. And um, I've got to basically sacrifice my entire 20s and life just to make this succeed, I think. Um, what can we do about that? Ooh, lots of things. <laughs> Creating startup ecosystems that don't have um, capital-focused um, agendas. Mm-hmm. So a lot of businesses can be capital-focused. I think help and support needs to generally come at the very beginning of any business without an agenda. Yeah. So if you're a small-scale business, you are absolutely vulnerable. You're vulnerable to everything. Mm-hmm. Um and you need that genuine support and guidance. It's like asking a three-year-old, hey, can I buy your dummy and your clothes and I'll give you two bucks for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes you actually just don't know what you've created, yeah. how to nurture it, um, and how to find the right network to help you actually scale in future. Yeah. And do you, how do you view the early-stage ecosystem in Australia? It's definitely emerging. I think government needs to step in to help nurture our entrepreneurial ecosystem yeah and i think the wider business community can also step in and start engaging with businesses in more really cool emerging startups in different facets and forms and then when you think about scaling your company uh because you're privately held uh you know what do you think about when you're thinking about investment or support Mm. Do you feel like you're a three-year-old and people are trying to buy your clothes and your dummy for two dollars? Like, what is is that something that you feel like that people? Sorry, I'd taken advantage or is too strong a perspective? Um, I think sometimes investors come in with a wrong approach, and that's offering money first for a chunk without even getting to know who you are, what you do, yeah, what your values are. And I think again, it comes back to <coughs> that value set. Um, Perhaps if looking in future for investment, we'd ask the question, is your company healthy? What does health mean to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, culture, such a fundamental part um, yeah. of what we believe. And I think there has to be a values alignment to ensure a partnership really works. Yeah, uh, There have been so many businesses that have just thrown offers and um, opportunities out there for us, but they just have not come from a place that actually wants to understand yeah. where we come from aside from hey we're a plant milk company and it's yeah, cool it's, it's cool <laughs> and it's 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 scaling and we know that the numbers say that this is the best area yeah. to invest in yeah 
actually getting to know us as a company, what our ambitions are, what we stand for, yeah, our brand ID, our, our general identity. It's so yeah. important. Do you think your business would have been as, as successful as it is without that clarity of values? Definitely not. There have been a lot of challenging moments where we've had to make really hard decisions. We've pivoted a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, even the positioning. Alma was never meant to be a retail product. Yeah. It was actually just destined for cafes. And we've we've had to evaluate exactly where we want to be, what we want to achieve, um, and make some really tough decisions. And without those values, we probably wouldn't yeah. be here today. Yeah. And then is, has there been times where you, you feel like, oh, if we make that decision, we'll stray away from our value system? And is that a tough moment? If, if, that's a, if there's an investor that could take us from B to C or make take us to a place, but maybe they're just not right, but we're at a point where that injection could be really helpful. Yeah. I think a gut feeling from past experiences when it's just not 100% right, it's come back to bite us yeah. really badly. So it absolutely has to be a 100%. We really respect, value this company, what they stand for. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's just we yeah. keep doing what we're doing, irrespective of not getting $100 million to scale <laughs> into a global company. How do you think uh, the rest of the world views uh, the entrepreneurial side of Australia? It's actually really exciting. Um, the amount of businesses from Australia, small um, small startups that have jumped on Amazon US and all mm-hmm. of a sudden have become number one, it's really actually exciting. I think we share a lifestyle um, and that is so hard to find yeah. anywhere else in the world. So a lot of these emerging lifestyle brands are doing incredible things. Yeah. D2C. How long do you think that lifestyle is going to have value for? Or, or exist. <laughs> well, here's a here's a question, I guess. All the recent challenges with with devastating fires, mm-hmm. you know, does that impact our lifestyle, or does Tourism Australia look at um, how they portray Australia differently? So it's a it's a really think, interesting question. Yeah, do you think brand Australia is changing? Uh, and when I, I don't mean Tourism Australia, more just uh, the country. Absolutely. And how it grows and evolves and what does modern Australia mean today? Absolutely. It's Big more question. than beaches. It's yeah. more than um it's more than our stereotypical ID. Yeah. And our identity is definitely evolving rapidly. Do you think the world's seeing that? Do you think the the view of Australia still is healthy people running on beaches or do you think there's a, a different lens that people are now putting on this country and the things that it makes or how it talks? I think we have an opportunity to change the view yeah. of what Australia is portrayed as. And yeah. I think that can come through advertising, that can come through um, brands themselves. It definitely is evolving, and I don't think the world's seen that as much. Yeah, Okay. And and then when you when you look back at, at the journey you've been on, what's been the biggest challenge that you've had in a business? <laughs> oh, tough, tough. There's been a lot of challenges. I think moving manufacturing back from New Zealand to Australia, um, yep. that was losing a beautiful packaging design and um, 
having to recreate our entire brand um, as a result and our positioning um, feeling like we lost a level of premiumness yeah. probably impacted me the most. I was like, ugh, it's not the same. It's not the original beautiful brand we created, but like anything, brands evolve. And I had to just think very positively around what does Elmo 2.0 look like? <laughs> and eventually there'll be an Elmo 3.0. And, and I think perhaps being so close to the brand, yep. this is where my consumers become the best advocates and perhaps the decision makers around what Elmo becomes next. And then when you think about that and you fast forward three years, five years to 3.0, what would you love it to be? Oh. <laughs> I think deep down, um, as much as Elmo is nourishing and sacred, it's starting to get a rebellious side. So <laughs> there is a probably good decade of rebellion ahead. And I think rebellion in the health food industry, um, really changing people's mindsets around tough, challenging issues and topics. And do you think that rebellion is going to be driven by external factors, things happening in the world that make people think differently about food? Absolutely. And um, just questioning um, everything we do, which is a yeah. bit scary, um, <laughs> but also really cool. I think when they say, you know, we go through these periods of depression in history, um, that's where some of the greatest entrepreneurs emerge and the way in which we overcome some of the biggest challenges we're currently facing in this world, whether it's environmental, political, um, social technological yeah. so many opportunities for change and growth how do you spot those trends and opportunities sitting back a lot reflecting <laughs> thinking observing i love sitting in cafes and just watching people yeah overhearing conversations and then how did do you spend a lot of time out of australia looking at what's happening globally and then what could work here mm. is that where you get inspiration from my biggest treat is travel, um, yeah. but it's it's sort of almost like archiving things that I notice, whether it's on social media, mm -hmm. uh, looking at different influences, not only in Australia, but checking out what's happening in Shanghai and yeah. being really curious about what are the latest, coolest things happening on the ground. Uh, so being back to that ground level, um, meeting locals, figuring out what they love um, and simply observing. It's just sort of curating and taking note of everything that's going on. That's really cool and exciting. Another question as an Australian entrepreneur, how important is Asia for you in growth mm. or inspiration or learning? Well, Asia as a whole is very important. Yeah. Uh, it's starting to become majority of our business mm -hmm. and we primarily focus on export. However, Asia has got all this actually really a new identity around both Southeast Asia and China. The volatility of what's been happening is definitely <coughs> something to take note, but really excitingly, um, I'd never thought ever in my wildest dreams that we'd see Almo in Brunei and <laughs> Malaysia being our number one market overseas. So all of a sudden, Southeast Asia has just emerged out of nowhere and we're going, wow, Vietnam, five times um, the population of Australia mm. and really cool things happening there and the micro markets that are um, really just the life and blood and identity of Vietnam. 
So, do you think enough Australian businesses are looking at SEA and seeing it as an opportunity? Definitely not. Yeah, we have such a lens um, over what we assume Asia to be, and mm-hmm. generally, it's like, hey, you've got to go to China and you will succeed. And China, China, China. Well, China's made up of so many provinces. Yeah. So, actually, what province? Yeah. They each have different consumer um, sort of consumer behavior yeah. subsets and um, and simply going to those cities and visiting and observing and meeting locals is so important. Yeah. And then do you think Amal will always be based in Australia? Do you have a personal aspiration to, oh, if travel's a big thing, to... Definitely. Look, Europe's, you're going to open Brunei. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really enjoying Asia. And um, perhaps here is another thing about suppression, not being able to eat certain foods. I was never allowed to travel to Asia because of the health risks. Yeah. Now that I'm um, in a better state of health, all of a sudden I'm actually allowed to travel to Asia and feel comfortable in like exploring and trying different foods. So for me, it's, it's actually a really cool chapter. I used to travel through Europe. I love Europe. So many amazing cities. Yeah. Um, never wanted to come back from um, Europe. Wanted to stay there. It was a one-way ticket. But um, deep down, I think the U.S. is... And I never assumed that we would ever explore the U.S. given the amount of competition. They grow a lot of almonds in California. Yeah. But the quality is not there. So how do brands like Fiji Water all of a sudden become mainstream in the US? Mm. So it's really interesting to take note of certain brands that have actually yeah. made it in the US. Yeah. Go, hey, actually, we've had quite a number of people reach out to us and retailers. Is this a big opportunity for us as well? Uh, different question. Work-life balance. Mm. how do you feel about that even just as a statement what what does work-life balance mean to you I think it's non-existent Um, achieving a perfect equilibrium Mm -hmm. is very very challenging and I think it's very aspirational however in reality um, work-life balance simply means actively managing your time and making sure you're doing the things you want to do. Even if you're spending 70% of your time at work, do you love what you do? Absolutely great. Then maybe that that's yeah. your work-life balance. Yeah. Do you ever not think about Alma? I have this unique ability, I think, in the last six months to absolutely disconnect when I'm at home. I, like, hmm. I magically do something to my brain where it becomes like... You leave it at the door. I, I leave it at the door. I just let it go. And I'll get back into my casual creativity. Um, so, How do you do that? Because I imagine some people listening would be really intrigued by, especially as a founder, where a, a solo founder mm. as well. Like how, how, how have you managed to make that work? There was a point um, in the first one or two years of Elmo that was extremely traumatic and stressful and the amount of lost sleep um, and the impact it had to my personal space, which was my home, living in my apartment, had a huge impact on my health. And physically, I was so unwell um, and perhaps a little too sensitive in, in that regard, having an autoimmune disease. I realized how drastic and how um, impactful stress is on the body. Yeah. And I think the body, um, it's 
it knows how to survive. It basically said, unless you stop really thinking about this, you are going to cause more damage mm. to yourself. And mm. there was just a switch. There was a switch in my body that's like, no, my home, my apartment, it's a sacred space. Yeah. This is not work-related phones. Nothing Elmer-related stays in the bedroom. <laughs> it's all out. It's, yeah. it's like my virtual vortex of just... It's like a bubble. No one can (laughs) tap into it. And do you think, like, because as you say, being ill and having that sort of stress level, do you think you you sometimes need that life shock to get to clarity? Yeah, it's a sad reality. Sometimes people are like, yeah, I'll eat anything. I'm fine. I'll spend a dollar on this food because I don't need to buy the good quality Mm -hmm. stuff. And I think sometimes it only happens when you learn the real tough lessons in life that you really go, oh, okay. Yeah. Actually got to stop, slow down, evaluate and change my behavior. And do you think as a... I think the government's the wrong word, but how we can help founders from a, a from a mental health perspective when you start something, uh, you know, we had a, a, a I was chatting to a guy Craig from Sendel, mm. uh, and he's spending a lot of his time now working with PwC with early stage companies, just coaching founders through protection of mental health, mm. which then impacts great performance in business health. Mm. Uh, and it's really interesting because it's such a, as you, as you know, it's such a hard journey and how we can help people uh, create a system or a way or support network uh, to do that. I, I, I'm trying to work out, like, is there a, something the government should be doing? Is it something that VCs should do when they inject capital, they also inject a support network? Mm. Uh, is it something founders should do as mentors to next stage companies? Uh, Co-working spaces, I think, um, or that has been one of the primary support networks for myself, as mm-hmm. well as undertaking a couple mentoring um, leadership programs throughout the years. There's yeah. certain organizations that have these incredible um, networks. However, the wider business community can help create spaces and environments that act as a support network. Mm-hmm. So often founders will, whether they've grown it themselves so starting off organically like myself or raised investment all of a sudden have um, goals that they want to achieve most of them are revenue focused Uh, they know they're under pressure they've got boards to um, report Mm -hmm. back to unless that founder um, has a support network mentors that they can reach out to on a daily basis um, an environment where they can work in that they can actually talk to people on mm-hmm. a daily basis um, without those networks and yeah. um, environments it's a real challenge so for other businesses why not open up your offices have a couple desks um, for early stage entrepreneurs that are just starting out um, allow them to see how you operate what culture is in your organization um, give them an ability to have a routine to step out of their homes and to actually believe they're achieving and working towards something yeah um, and just generally as an individual if you're someone in an industry just go out there <laughs> go network at some of these startup events um, offer your support generally learn something from these incredible entrepreneurs and founders and vice versa there's so much to be gained from that 
Do you think you'll always run a business from a solo perspective? Ooh, um, I heard a VC company from the US come out to Australia and um, talk about how um, being a solo founder, sometimes VC firms don't invest in solo <laughs> founders because they think it's um, quite detrimental and there's certain negatives. So it's interesting. I think in future, absolutely, I'd look at partnering up with a number of organizations and um, other really cool creative mm-hmm. um, creatives. But deep down, I'm happy actually <laughs> running my own thing, not reporting to anyone, managing my own <laughs> schedule um, and being the only person that puts pressure on themselves. So, Last question. Um, if you could do one more thing with time that you have in your life, what would it be? Oh, a real calling of mine is actually writing a book. Okay. So I um, <clears throat> have had a very random life to date, but I've had some really incredible um, moments and journeys and stories and wanting to share that in some way, shape or form, I think is definitely writing. So if I could have time, I would probably set up an incredible co-working library for anyone to come in and share knowledge through books whether that's digital or physical books um create a create a space that's just magical cool well thank you for that that was a really good chat thank you chris really enjoyed it awesome up next we have mark green group ceo and co-founder of the monkeys (laughs) 